If we've not met, I'm Pastor Mike Ramsdale, and I want to share a couple of kind of announcements for you. They're in your bulletin, but I want to point them out. Uh, One is leaving a lasting legacy next Sunday at 5 o'clock. You're thinking about how you might leave a legacy in church, community, uh, family. It's a great way to learn about that. Dr. Eric McKinney will be here to lead that uh, next Sunday night at 5 o'clock. Just sign up. Tells you how to do that here. Uh, Join us. I'll be there. It's kind of part of our Boomers and Beyond uh, kind of outreach area, so be aware of that also. Also, starting point Wednesday night, if you're thinking about membership, on learn more about our church. If you're a guest, would like to take a next step, any, any connection with that at all, uh, join us again, starting point this Wednesday night at 630. Uh, you can sign up, tell you how to do that. Uh, who to email, uh, go in the back, let them know uh, today you want to be a part of that, or just join us and show up. Uh, we'd love to have you be a part of that uh, very special thing. Now we're in our second week of, of a message series, a 40-day challenge uh, connected directly to Lenten season, the season that leads up to Easter. We're excited about that, certainly what that means for us, walking with the cross, to the cross, with Christ in this very important time of the year. Uh, again, around the 40-day challenge. Uh, many are doing the study that we have uh, corresponding with this. You don't have to do it, but many are. Uh, some are just got the book. Uh, some are thinking about how they might connect with that. We'll share a couple of things that are in the book right now around the second week. One is simply a verse that leads to, that leads in session two, the clash of two kingdoms, where it says the memory, memory verse, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Whoever wants, loses their life for, my, for me will save it. Think about those words. Then I want to add to that, we have at the end of the, end of the book challenges for us to kind of walk through together during the Lenten season. So if you're not part of a study, that's fine. Uh, still get the book, it's still available for you, and be a part of some of the challenges that you can do on a daily or weekly basis. Here are some. Uh, number one says, pray the Lord's Prayer solely morning, noon, and night, three times a day. It's a challenge anyone can do, but it's also an important challenge. Another might be this one. Think of the least acknowledged, unpopular, marginalized person you know. Reach out to them today with a smile, hug, or note of kindness. Pray for them all day. They don't tell them they're on this list, by the way, <laughs> that, they're, that they're that. But, you know, pray for them. Uh, another, give up TV, surfing the web or social media today. Use the extra time to talk and listen to God. And there are many of these challenges. I think there's probably 40 of them. Uh, and connect with us that way. So I want to share that this morning, if, if I could. We talk about today the, the second in the series. The title of my message today is Greatness. Second and 40-day challenge, and I want to ask you a couple of questions. People sometimes say to themselves as a question, I'll be happy if, do you ever say that? I'll be happy if, and there's a list of ifs that have to take place, something has to change, somebody has to do something for that happiness to come in your life. A second question, might, or second idea might be, uh, I'm not happy because... There's the because I've got here. There's this big, enormous, elephant-sized because. If that would go away, then I would be happy. The reason I use that, uh, the term is that the Bible very clearly says to us that, that God's about us really having joy in our lives. It also tells us that it's difficult to serve God well if we don't have joy and happiness in our heart. Too busy worried about ourselves to worry about anybody else. So we find ourselves sometimes stuck in the mud because of that. So I want you to think about that around the term greatness, specifically about the teaching of Jesus Christ. 
and what the purpose of that teaching is in our life and in our relationship with God and around the idea of the 40-day challenge. Now I want to share a word about a, a fellow you probably heard about. Maybe you, read, maybe you heard about him in junior high school or high school. He studied probably in every school in America. His name is George Washington Carver. Now, George Washington Carver was born a slave, so that certainly dates him. He became highly educated, professor, uh, inventor, did so many things in his life that were so outstanding, also created formats for others to learn and grow as well in their own education process. Uh, He had every right to be resentful, bitter, selfish, miserable in his life, and unhappy because of how he was born, where he was raised, the world as a black man he was raised in. And yet he wasn't any of those things, to the point of, here is what is uh, on his tombstone, and it says this, a life that stood out as a gospel of self-forgetful service. I want you to think about that. Think also about the words that you heard read a moment ago about John the Baptist. We'll talk about that more in a little bit. But think, I'll say, I'll say it again for you. A life that stood out as a gospel, which means good news, of self-forgetful service. Think what that might mean for you. It goes on to say in that same headstone, tombstone, he could have added fortune to fame, but caring for neither, he found happiness and honor in being helpful to the world. Think about that. Now, I'm going to read a couple of verses now in the text that's already been read, but I want to pick up a few in John chapter, chapter 3. Uh, and these are the words that are said by John. A man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. So hear that word. In verse 30, he must increase, but I must decrease. Now we're going to talk about John the Baptist for a moment, who is the kind of the ground person for the message today and the 40-day challenge. Uh, John the Baptist uh, was doing many things for the kingdom of God during the time of Jesus. Uh, He was baptizing lots of people. We're called, he was doing what's called the baptism of repentance. It means the washing of your sins and to try to live a better life through that washing and that kind of commitment to change your life, be a better person. And the the words were preparation for the kingdom of God coming and the coming of the Messiah. In reality, what's going to happen in a short time when Jesus would enter the scene. He was extremely popular, well-known throughout Israel. He was known for his, uh, his, certainly his prophetic word, his baptism, his preaching, popular to, to many categories. And I want to show you a picture now that relates to, uh, to John the Baptist a little bit. Uh, as many of you have already heard, uh, we took a group to, Pastor David and I took a group to Israel, and Pastor Tina also went, a group to Israel. Uh, we returned Friday afternoon. Still a little jet lag going on for those who are on that trip. I see you out there, so don't go to sleep. But if you do, I'll know why. Uh, for those that are here today, and that is the Jordan River. We're getting ready to have about 33 or so people remember the baptism, which is a lot of folks to do that. The water's very cold, by the way. Uh, as people were lining up, I'm thinking, 33, huh? Uh, we had to step out in there and get really cold there, but it's a, it's, a, it's a very cool moment to do that. We enjoy that time in Israel. And John the Baptist baptized along that same river. They would come, and he would be there. He would preach. Uh, there would be crowds all around him. 
uh, again, famous for what he was doing, and he'd baptize them, and they'd keep coming, and they'd keep coming, and what a very special time for him in his life. And, and, and then Jesus came down the river, and when he saw him, John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world along that same river. And then he baptized Jesus. Jesus said to, to, to fulfill all righteousness. And then things changed dramatically at that point. It wasn't long after till his disciples or the followers of John the Baptist came and said, you know that fellow that came to you, that Jesus guy? Everybody's leaving and going and following him. They're leaving you. They're not coming to you anymore. The crowds are thinning out. They're talking about Jesus now and not you. Of course, Jesus is working miracles, raising the dead, uh, feeding hungry people, uh, healing sick people. John wasn't doing any of those things, so they're going to go after Jesus, you know. And I think what they're telling John, his followers are saying, John, you should be miserable. You should be, an, you should be as unhappy as heck. You'd be walking around resenting this Jesus who came to you. It's not fair at all. You know, you can imagine what his friends, his followers are saying to John when they're saying, John, they're following him and not you anymore. And you should be miserable, unhappy, resentful, angry, and have all kinds of bad feelings about this Jesus person. And so what does he say? He says, he must become more. I must become less. And he wasn't unhappy at all. As he gave himself to the will of God, what I've already read, he said, it's only what God gives you that really matters. And he found himself in a place of being happy regardless of how many came and how many didn't come. Dealt with it in that way. So in that light of our own thinking about what is Jesus teaching us, what is greatness in the biblical sense, the teaching sense of Christ, what is it becoming more by embracing less, which is the major theme of the 40-day challenge? John 3.30, he must become greater, I must become less. What does all that mean as we seek to embrace it ourselves around the good news of Jesus Christ? I'm going to show you some more pictures. Show you pictures of teaching steps. This is also a picture we took not too long ago, and uh, that's me, and I'm getting a chance to teach our group, the 46 men and women who were there. And the teaching steps, I think, are for me uh, by far the best place to be and to go when I'm, we're in Jerusalem. It's right down where the, the temple was, used to be, not just really a short distance from what's called the Western, or used to be called the Wailing Wall, and it's the original steps, many of them are. The steps that were there when Jesus was there. Jesus, we know beyond any doubt, taught on those very same steps our, our group is sitting on. And that's cool right there, just, just that. He taught when he was 12 years old, astounding, we're told, the scholars and, and religious leaders of Israel. He taught there during Holy Week as well. Cast some money changers out too, that's a whole other story. I'm not talking about that much today. But he taught there, and, I, and I'm getting to teach there. But I want you to think about what he taught and why he taught. Now, I want to say that in our life, we find salvation, very simply, through faith in Christ. The work of Christ on the cross saves our soul. That's a central truth of the Christian church. That sacrifice saves our soul. 
Thank you, God, for that kind of overwhelming grace that makes heaven ours and makes us God's and God's ours. But happiness, as the Bible teaches it around the word blessed, comes because we follow the teaching of Jesus Christ. If we don't do that, we will not experience the joy he wants us to have in our life. And many do not do that. So in those teaching steps, we think about what Jesus taught. And he's very consistent in what he taught. Things like the, the Beatitudes, blessed are the pure in heart, blessed are the merciful, blessed are they that mourn, blessed are they who thirst after righteousness. He said, love God, love your neighbor. Very consistent teachings about what life should look like and be like and needs to be like for us to walk in the joy he had in his own life that he offers us. I'm going to show you a second picture. It's a picture there by the Sea of Galilee. We were there for, the weather was beautiful this year when we were there. It's not always like that. Sometimes it rains. It can be cold this time of year in Israel. But we were there. It was in the 60s and 70s every day. Sunshiny, beautiful weather. For those that have gone with me in previous trips, I'm sorry. They didn't get that quite at the level we did this time. Some of here I see you out there. Uh, and there's the Sea of Galilee in the background. And there's the mountains behind that that you can see. It's a beautiful sea. And we, of course, built up the, this area where uh, the, the Beatitudes happened and feeding of the 5,000 happened. So now we have trees and shrubs and sidewalks. But it's still the same area there. And he taught there as well. And they came to hear what he, what he taught. And, and he taught the things of God, we're told. He taught the things about the kingdom of God, we are told. He taught things that amaze people, we are told. And again, blessed are those who are merciful. Blessed are those who love their neighbor, those who love God. Uh, and he talked about this kind of life around relationships, around forgiveness, around grace, around what matters and what does not matter. That's what he talked about there at that Sea of Galilee shot. James 4.10 says it like this, just a few words, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. In other words, give God a chance to exalt you in your life, to elevate you in your life, to help you grow further in your life and, and to experience it in our joy and, and grace and, and presence and, and love and, and mercy of God. It's about those kind of things. You know, in that same light, we live in a culture that I think is really determined uh, to make us miserable. It's determined to tell us, you should be miserable, here are the reasons why. Here are all the ifs that will never happen because you're, going, you're, you're never going to experience the joy you deserve. I think it's kind of a cult that's out there. The cult of I deserve more. When here the Bible's talking about less. Wait a minute. That's why the idea of the clash of two kingdoms, which is one of the key components of lesson two in the book. If you're, if you're in a study with someone, you're, you're going through that now. Again, we, he's, we live in a culture of more. You have to have more to be happy, whatever that more happens to be. It doesn't have to be stuff. It could be anything. And now the Bible's talking about, Jesus is talking about less, less. So there's the question. What is real greatness? That question is on your message page. What is real greatness? I'll show you two more pictures. One is a picture of the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. Uh, we were there for a few hours. Can you put that picture up? 
not yet, but maybe there it is. It's hard to see, but uh, what that, uh, that church is built many years ago, over a thousand years ago, on what they consider to be Golgotha or Calvary, or, or the hill mountainside that, that Christ is crucified on. You can't see much of the mountain anymore. It's been surrounded by this big church and icons and pictures and all that. That's some of our group that are there waiting for their turn to go to a spot where you can see the top of that hillside. That's all that's available to see. The mountain, the, the church covers the rest of it. And that's a spot some believe, crusaders believed anyway, was where the cross was and Christ was crucified. So they're waiting to see that and to touch that, to pray there, to contemplate, to cry, whatever they choose to do when they reach that, that time they can see this is the spot some think the cross was where Christ was crucified. Now I'm going to show you the next picture. Uh, this is a picture of what's called the garden tomb. Uh, some think this might be where uh, the cross was, but some also think this might be where uh, the tomb was. Whether it was or it wasn't, it was a tomb pretty much like you're seeing here. There's our, our people who were with us waiting in line to go into the tomb where there's a slab there. Uh, there's an opening there, very similar to the place that Christ would have been, that commemorates the death and burial of Jesus Christ. So we are a church, and all churches are, of people that commemorate the cross and burial of Jesus Christ. We commemorate that the one we say I want to be a follower of was crucified and buried. Okay, are you with me on the idea that we live in a culture about more, and yet the Bible's talking about less uh, what God gives us in that, and in that we place our faith in, the in a God that died on a cross for us, that we say, I want to follow him. Why in the world would you pick him to follow? When you pick someone who is great, someone who is greater, our culture has all kind of ideas of greatness, doesn't it? Uh, often greatness is related to how much money someone has uh, or the political power they have or the fame that they have, or the strength they have in sports, and that's what greatness is and who we talk about and who people often want to be. Who wants to be like Jesus? He was crucified for the sins of the world. Yet the Bible says, for the joy our happiness set before him, he endured the shame of that very cross. And he's the one we're saying, I want to follow. And he's saying, hey, if you follow me, you'll have the joy that I have, that I had, and I will always have in a way you'll never know any other way but making that choice in your life to humble ourselves in this sense of faith and love in God and who God is. Philippians tells us that he considered equality with God something to, not to be grasped. Even though he was God, he said, forget that. I'm going to choose this instead, and that's Jesus. You know, I, I could be God on this earth and have people serve me, but instead I choose to serve them. And we're saying, I want to follow you. And yet people often in this world who demand to be elevated have no right to demand that, but they do it anyway. And they find no joy in that place. Well, second question is, who is really great? Was Jesus really great? Was he great in the sense of how we understand what greatness is? Why is Jesus great? You know, he died on a cross. He let people crucify him. 
when he didn't have to. He served the poorest of the poor, the worst of the worst. When he could have become a king, he chose to wash the feet of Galilean fishermen, who would, one who would deny him, another who would betray him, the rest who would abandon him. He didn't get much for what he did, did he? He didn't get a good return on that. That's a bad investment. With the joy set before him, he endured the shame of the cross. A couple more questions. Are we pursuing the kind of greatness that connects us to God? Are we doing that? Again, I think we live in the cult of the dissatisfied, the cult of the unhappy, the cult of I deserve more. That's all around us all the time. And people buy into that without realizing there's no way they find joy in that. And God comes and says, hey, it's about less. It's not about more. And, and, and John the Baptist was, was told by his friends, you should be miserable. Since they're following Jesus more than they're following you. And he said, I'm not miserable. He said, I'm fine with this. Because he must increase. I must decrease. And often we have people tell us, you should be miserable. You shouldn't be happy. You should be resentful. You should be unhappy. You should be dissatisfied because you don't have more. You don't have this or this hasn't happened yet. Instead of hearing what God says, what is really great is following, loving, giving, serving, walking with God. That's what the Bible is telling us so clearly here today. Are we pursuing the kind of greatness that connects us to Christ? Next one here is, for John, there's nothing greater than belonging to God and submitting to God. Because he understood what less really was. Less was, I belong to God, nothing better than that. And less is I submit to God's will and authority in my life, and that's what I choose. It's a choice that he made. He finds joy in that. And the last uh, point here, and I'll say more about that, please, so, so continue to pay attention. Repentance is a necessary part of the journey to God's idea of greatness. Repentance is a necessary part of that. You know, I think that we, again, often ask the question, I'll be happy if. If that's how I'm living, maybe I need to repent of that. That I'm unhappy because. Maybe if that's how I'm living, I need to repent of that. I'm not talking about depression here. I'm talking about happiness, blessedness, what the Bible teaches about joy, what that means for you and me where we get it. Again, in the American idolatry cult of I deserve more. Instead of what the Bible teaches, it's less. It's less. Randy Alcorn writes this statement that I want you to listen to closely. Uh, let God speak to you through these words. Take them as God might speak to you. Uh, and, and please hear them. I think they're very important to hear today. He says, American idolatry, or I add that, he says this, when you're unhappy, you get to pay a lot of attention to yourself. And you get to take yourself oh so very seriously. Your truly happy people don't think of themselves very much. Your unhappy person resents it when you try to cheer them up because that means he, has to, he or she has to stop dwelling on himself and start paying attention to others. Unhappy. Please hear the last words here. And again, Randy Alcorn writes, he's a whole book about happiness. He writes his words, a Christian writer. Unhappiness is the ultimate form of self-indulgence. 
I need you to think about that. I'm not talking about clinical depression or depression. There are other things we could talk about in a different Today I'm talking about happiness, blessed joy, as the Bible teaches it. Unhappiness is the ultimate form of self-indulgence. Well, I said repentance is a necessary part of the journey to God's idea of greatness. Sometimes we need to repent of that. Lord, I repent that I think stuff is going to make me happy or if this has got to change for me to be happy or I've got to fix that to be happy instead of knowing that happiness simply is less. And John knew that. He said to his followers, I'm not going to let you make me miserable, resentful, unhappy, or angry. Uh, the same thing that uh, George Washington Carver said to those around him. You, you should be miserable and unhappy and angry at those around you who made your life so difficult. You were born into slavery after all, and it's not how he chose to live at all. He lived in a different way, lived around the words of a self-forgive, a, a good news, a gospel of self-forgetful service. Less is more in that context of what it means. Jesus said it this way, whoever finds his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. There are three writers who say it in a different way, uh, and, they, and they really are saying the same thing, so I put them into one kind of phrase. Uh, one is Timothy Keller, a great preacher uh, in, in, in Northeast who's well-known by many. C.S. Lewis, who was the father of evangelism, evangelicalism, back in, during World War II and after that. And Rick Warren, who is a, a great leader of the church on the West Coast, one on the East Coast, one in the past. Here's what they say. The essence of gospel humility is not thinking more of myself or thinking less of myself. It's thinking of myself less. Thinking of myself less. And so John the Baptist says, hey, it's not about me. You guys may think it is, but it's not about me. It's about Jesus and those he calls me to serve and the life I live and the love I have and the faith I live by and the God that I trust and the Lord that I serve and the one who walks with me. It's about those things. So different than the world. And that is hard for us to really consume living so fully and completely in a culture that's a cult of I deserve more instead of I choose less. And that's the second message in the 40-day challenge. Will you pray with me, please? Heavenly Father, you know us well. How often we have said, if this would happen, I'd be happier. This would stop, I'd be happier. And happiness becomes so elusive so hard to find, so hard to hold on to. We have those around us who tell us that we ought to be unhappy or miserable or not feeling good, or we deserve this or we deserve that, and we listen to them too much. Today, God, we'll hear you, or you tell us that you give us Jesus, and that's enough for us. Lord, we pray in every way, God, we might accept fully that, that good news in our own life and our own heart. You know us well. So we trust you to hear our prayer, the ones and the words that I speak out loud for us, but the ones also those of us together here speaking only in our hearts. Do we pray the prayer? We know you will answer us, for we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.